for you. All right, so let's get into the Word of God. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, we're doing the second half today. Hopefully we can get through the, the whole second half. I think we can. This is kind of in chunks as I've uh, studied it and, and as I want to present it to you. Um, but you can go back and, and look. I mean, you can dig all day long in, in any of the Scripture. Um, but uh, let's stand to our feet for the reading and the hearing of God's Word. I'm just going to read verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so, also, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. So I want to touch on just a few things here um, as we move through the end of the chapter. And, and I do think that we'll be able to cover the last part to 18 through 25. But we'll see what we have time for. But uh, just as by way of reminder, last week I laid out for you my understanding of the law of Christ as, uh, as it is revealed in the, in the scripture. And if you remember the... Um, the, the what is it called? An acronym? Is that what it's called? Um, where uh, I broke it down to, you, to, to make it easier for you to be able to use the letters in a word to describe. And I had five points on describing the law of Christ, and it was from the word Christ. Because the first point was is that Christ is the law. So the person of Christ, he is the law of Christ. Christ richly, richly dwelling in you the hope of glory. That is the law of Christ. So when we're conformed to the image of Christ, we will perfectly fulfill the law. When we are found in Christ through faith with imparted righteousness, his righteousness is given to us through faith, then we are considered perfectly righteous before a holy God. But what that looks like being walked out as we move through the acronym CHRIST is the C is for Christ himself is uh, the law. The H is what? Is his love. Love is the, is the command of all commands. And if we love one another, we will have fulfilled the, the whole law, the whole Mosaic law code. Every law that has ever been written is fulfilled in the one law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then to the eyes, the instructions of Jesus Christ. So every instruction that we see, the red letter. Remember we talked about there are some uh, particular believers that they are red letterists, okay? They believe only the red letters are the inspired words of God. Obviously, we don't believe that. But we do believe that the, the explicit teachings of Jesus Christ are part of the law of Christ and are to be followed by believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. T is the teachings of the apostles. S, I'm sorry. S is the standard set forth by the apostles, okay? So you have the love is the overarching thing. Christ himself and his love is the overarching. Then the instructions of Christ. S, the standard set forth by the apostles. So it's the teachings of Christ and the teaching of his apostles who are uh, sent forth by him in an authoritative way and all of their all of the words that were recorded by them are inerrant and infallible words of God. 
And then you have finally the T, which is the totality of Scripture, okay? Or the entire Bible, however you want to say it. And we looked at John 5, 39, Luke 24, 27, that, 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 that shows us that Jesus says, starting with the, the law and the prophets, with Moses and the prophets, showed us how all of these things were about him. And so we look and we say, well, the Old Testament absolutely applies, but through the lens of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so we, do, we, we don't believe that the Christian can now just be lawless and do whatever he wants to do and commit any sins he wants to do. No, is that the law that he's under now goes far deeper than that which is just outward in written ordinances, but it's now written on the heart. And so it's the entire Bible through the lens of Christ written on the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and by regeneration. Well, what we see coming now in verses 12 through 18, in, in my understanding at least one application of it, is how this, how this molds and shapes and moves an individual and a group of people that they reflect then the image of Christ and what that looks like in that particular group. And I believe what he does here is that he moves from general language about how people treat each other to specific instances of those treatments and those feelings and those attitudes toward one another and how it relates to every single day life. For him and for us, okay? So I want to point out here five things that become a reality when we are indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, when we're indwelt by Christ, and we're transformed into the image of Christ. These will be realities that become a part of your life if you're truly born again. Now, it may be a slower process for some, it may be a faster process for others, but you should see these fruit in your life if you claim to be a born-again believer. If you're truly born again, then you should see these things start to manifest in your life as you interact with yourself even and the people closest to you your uh, friends and then everybody that surrounds you even people that you don't agree with okay this will just be a general attitude that becomes manifest in the life of a true believer okay so let's look at the scripture again we just read it but kind of quickly let's let's look again it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, the first thing that jumps out to me is this word put on. Now, I know it's two words in English, but it's actually one word in Greek. And, and this word is the idea of clothing yourself, is to put on a garment, okay, uh, this word is used in several different places in uh, the, the Greek text. And, and what, I, what immediately came to my mind was when the scriptures talk about putting on Christ. Okay? Clothing yourselves in Christ. We're clothed in righteousness. And what that means simply is that this, this, this thing that we're clothing ourselves in or that we're putting on, two things about it that jumped out to me was that one, it completely covers you and, and covers everything else that was uh, true about you before, right? So we're, and this is what he's doing. He's drawing distinctions between what you used to be, how you used to live, and who you are now, okay? You're born again. You're born in Christ. The old man is dead. The new man has come. The old way is gone. The new way has come. And so we have this idea of the new swallowing up the old, putting on, okay? Think of it as like a, a trench coat. When you put it on, it completely covers your whole body. Well, this same word is 
used of putting on Christ, putting on righteousness, clothing yourself. So he says, put on then. The second thing that jumps out, the first I told you was that it just seems to cover everything else that used to be true about us, right? Well, the second is, is that you're commanded to put it on. How about that? You see, we like to think, well, once saved, always saved. I'm good to go, son, you know? But the problem is, is that we're justified by faith. That's a, that's a monergistic work. You know, you say, well, big word, Brandon. All that means is God is the one who does salvation, okay? You say, well, I was the one who chose. Well, yeah, but only after God awakened you to be able to choose because outside of Christ, you're dead and you're trespassing and sins and dead men don't do nothing, okay? So when God brings you into that place where he, he bursts relationship with you, he bursts you, you know, how many of you planned the day you were born, right? No, none of you did that. Uh, so Jesus Christ uh, uh, brings you into the family. That's a work of God, okay? He has set that out from the beginning. But once he brings you in, you are given this, this fire, this power, this life, right? You have life. You can breathe. You can live. You can move. You can see. You can think, right? The, these things are spiritually discerned. Now you can discern them. You can understand what's going on. Your minds have been enlightened the truth of God and so you have the ability to move now in the things of God walk in the Holy Spirit and to make decisions that you should make so you are called to work together with God in the in the act of sanctification okay and this is synergistic is that we are synchronized with the Lord okay that that God is working and we are working and the work that we're doing is only getting done because it's on the foundation of the work that God is doing remember work out your salvation fear and truly know that is God is who, who is at work in you both to willing to work for his good pleasure. So our work bursts forth from his work, right? And so as we move through this life, we are to put on the, the righteousness of Christ. We're to put on Christ. It's described differently here, but I think it's just another way of describing Christ. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So he sets this, this kind of odd adjectives here. He says, you should put these things on knowing that you're chosen by God, you're holy, and you're beloved. Isn't that amazing? It's that God Almighty who created everything, and remember, he's already walked out to the beginning, so you don't think I'm just throwing creation in here, how Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. And the creator of everything has chosen you to be a part of his family. In his righteousness, you are made righteous, and now you are called holy. Isn't that crazy? You should look in the mirror and be like, holy? holy right but you are in christ holy and what's most amazing uh to be sure is beloved you are beloved you are the beloved as as uh, many uh preachers would say it i like the way that sounds so not just beloved but you are the beloved you know that reminds me of a romance novel right that you are christ's beloved right and, and so this is the truth and the reality about those who are in christ well he says Put on, put on what? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, weakness, and patience. You know, meekness and patience. You know what this reminds me of? And this is what I wrote down right here. Is that this section, uh, verses 12 and 13, it reminds me of a servant's heart. A servant's heart. Someone that they're just here to serve. They don't need to be right. They don't need the spotlight. They don't need for you to cater to them. They're not looking to start a fight. If something comes up, they're just meek. They're mild. It doesn't mean they're weak. You don't need, you don't need to mistake meekness for weakness. Meekness is actually strength that's controlled. <laughs> you know, uh, Moses was called one of the meekest men in the Bible. But this is the man who split the Red Sea, that God threw him and split the Red Sea. Meekness is not weakness, but it's strength under control. 
Okay, so it's, it's this servant's heart. So that's what I put here. It seems like that all of these just outline what it is to be a servant's heart. And boy, could we, could we use a little bit of that today? You know, I, I know I could. You know, we have all this arrogance and this bombacity and this, this and I, I, I'm, I'm the first to tell you that I struggle with that. And, and we all have to be right. And even if you say, well, I'm not arrogant, you're still selfish, right? And so we have backhanded compliments and we have, uh, what, what is it called, uh, passive aggressive attacks, right? You, it, it's, it's false humility, you know? It's this pseudo piety that you pretend all this. No, it's still selfishness. It's just pride dressed up walking backwards. That's all it is. And so he says, put on, so we are to completely be consumed by uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Listen to verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if, uh, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is one of the toughest scriptures in the entire Bible. You say, what do you mean? I can forgive. No. Uh, no. Read that again. Read it slowly for the people in the back, okay? Listen to what it says. Bearing with one another... If, any, if one has a complaint against you, against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Well, I could, we could spend a lot of time on this. I want to point out one thing because this is the thing that people struggle with the most. I see it regularly. I struggle with it myself. How often is it true of you and the people around you that you believe, at least you act it out. You may say with your mouth one thing and do with your body another, but this is how we all act. Is that I will forgive them when they realize what they have done is wrong. And until then, they don't deserve my forgiveness. I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you did that like yesterday. Right? Or this morning on the way to church. That's why you and your wife should drive separate cars. Amen, babe? How often is it that we believe that forgiveness should be withheld until they've come to the realization that, that they were wrong and they have asked for forgiveness? How about this? Is it possible to forgive someone while they're continuing to do the same thing and not even stopped? Hmm. That's a little bit tougher one. Now, I think it should be said that I don't know if forgiving necessarily brings with, um, forgiving necessarily brings with it forgetting. Now, I believe that there is a sense and we should forget it in, in so much as we don't let it affect who we are today. I think that that's a real sense. But do you think that there will always be that in the back of our minds that we have to put to death under the blood of Jesus Christ when someone sinned against us? When someone has done something to us that has offended us or has really wounded us and maybe really actually sinful? You know, a lot of the things that we refuse to forgive, they're not even really anything that you should be worried about. But sometimes there is great pain that comes from actual sins leveled against us. Well... I would suggest this, that it was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there's a, there's a real sense in which even in your sinfulness, 
Christ was nailed to the cross to pay for that sinfulness. I tried to, I've been ministering to a few different people, and I've been actually dealing with this exact same thing here recently. And it is, well, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to interact. I'm not going to love these people because of this sin in their life. And it's funny that this, this is where we are this Sunday because my advice to them was and my, my plea with them and my own thoughts and prayers have been geared this way was that, well, have you ever thought that it may very well be your love and forgiveness and your spirit of humility that is the avenue and the means that brings about the repentance? I mean, the text, it, you can't, I can't get away from it. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it was his forgiveness of us that led us back into a relationship with him and nothing else apart from it. You would have never have repented. You hated Jesus Christ's guts. Until Jesus Christ and came, forgave you, and spoken to your life and revealed to you the love that he had, you would have never come and repented. Or at least I wouldn't. Maybe you're just better than I am. Okay, well, we, look, we see a servant's heart. Let's move on. 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So first we have this servant's heart that sees much more to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the glory of God, and then to the betterment of everybody else. It sees everybody else as more important, right? And this is Philippians. This is the whole Bible. Think of others more highly than you do yourself, that you're always looking out for other people and you think very, very little of yourself. Not that you think, not that you think badly of yourself, but you just don't think of yourself much. I had somebody define humility in that way, and I thought it was really good. It's not someone that thinks uh, little of themselves, but it's someone who thinks of themselves very little. Does that make sense? Someone who's truly humble, you won't even know they're humble because you won't even know they exist. Think about that. If those who are around you are saying, look how humble I am. <laughs> they pick up the trash to take the trash out and they look nobody's around. They put the trash back. Wait. Oh, here comes somebody. And they take the, That's not humility. They're not doing that because they're humble. They're doing that because they're backwards pride. It's just pride dressed up walking backwards. Right? But someone who's truly humble, you just never even hardly notice them because they're just always serving other people. They just come in and they bring... And, and I, we point this out all the time, but I think the, the, gre the greatest example of humility in my lifetime that I've seen, there's been a few, is Steve Brown. He's like a mouse. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, that's a, I love that dude, man. I'm telling you. And, and all the work that, that, you know, the elders do in the church and the worship team does in the church, I wonder if old Steve don't stand before the Lord. And, and the Lord's like, you were the one in that church that was the example of Christ above all. There was some good work going on, but Brother Steve, you were the one. Amen. And Steve would be like, oh, shucks. 
you know? He like embodies that what Jesus said, you know, when you saw me naked, you clothed me. And they're like, when did I see you like that, Lord? I don't remember, you know? He's like, well, you did it for everybody else, you know? And I just love that. I love that. Anyway, I spent too much time. But, but hey, hats off. He ain't even in here. He's probably taking out the trash somewhere. But uh, that man loves the Lord, and I love him, right? Tell him that when you see him. Tell him that when you see him. Uh, so anyway, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which uh, indeed you are called in one body. So we have this idea of love, okay? We already talked about the love, but this love is, is, is explicitly described to bind everything together in perfect harmony. So you remember when we talked a while back, we talked about shalom and the idea of shalom, and shalom is peace in, in Hebrew, right? But uh, I listened to this guy, and, uh, he was doing this study on the word shalom, and I saw it was really interesting, and it just stuck with me for some reason. He said, you know, shalom is oftentimes translated peace, but it really means so much more than that. It means like this perfectly harmonious uh, movement of things that, together. It's like a flow. It's like a rhythm. That's what this, this made me think of. And we know that, that God is love. We know that Christ is love. And when it says put on love, we know that all that means is to be consumed with Christ, to be consumed with God, and to, and to live in this perfectly harmonious balance with God. And in that, we find perfect harmony and perfect unity. And what happens when you put these two together? So you put this servant's heart, this humility. You're not thinking of yourself. You're thinking of others. You want to glorify God no matter what cost. You're putting on love, and so you are just you know, passionate about, passionate about the Lord, and the peace of Christ is ruling in your hearts. Then it, you, that guy, that woman that I'm describing right now that's put on humility, put on meekness, put on love, put on Christ, the, the, the word of Christ richly dwells on you. You can't rattle that person. They're unshakable. And how many times have we just been devastated by the circumstances that surround us? And all that does is prove to us is that we are not where we need to be in the faith. Now, does that mean we're not Christians? No, not necessarily. We're human beings. We struggle. But when we press into Christ and we find our identity in Christ and we've put on humility and we've put on meekness and we've put on love, then no matter what comes, we're unshakable. And, and when I say unshakable, I mean that you still love people even when they spit in your face. This is the essentials of loving your enemies, of loving those who despise you, of, of, of counting it all blessing and counting it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations for it produces in you steadfastness and, and perseverance. How is that? By being consumed with and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, by being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that when the waves come and the, and the, and the, and the rains come and the, and, and the seas rise and the waters rise and they pound, that you don't fall because you're built on the, on the rock. It's Christ Jesus. So are you found in Christ? Is this descriptive of you? And it doesn't come by deciding to be this way. It comes through submitting yourself to Christ, being born again, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit and setting your mind on the things above remember verse 1 seek the things that are above set your mind on the things above and have your minds transformed and renewed to be uh, created in the image of the creator and as we as we begin to be conformed to the image of Christ these things will be a reality in our lives no longer see right now it may be that when somebody comes against you when somebody 
cusses you out or somebody uh, cuts you off in traffic or somebody about runs you over coming up Lake, Ro- Lake Road, whatever. You may, you may, you may uh, have a tendency to, to uh, wave at them out the window, right? Uh, you may have a, a tendency to cuss under your breath or just cuss them slam out, right? When something happens, do you get kicked out of ball games, right? Um, do you... Uh, <laughs> You know, do, do, you, do you throw food back in the drive through window because it wasn't right? Hey, let me ask this. Do you tip 53 cents when the waitress was off her game? Do you even tip? <laughs> How do you respond? How do you react? You know? When we respond out of a, well, I'll show you, well, that, that, you're putting yourself in the seat of the judge. What if we said, well, Lord have mercy, I've done way worse than that to Christ and he forgave me. I can't hold no grudge against you. You could punch me dead in the face and break my nose. How many lashes did I rake across the back of my Savior? And I know that's crazy talk, right? When I give people this advice, they look at me like like I'm just insane, right? Wife's cheating on her husband, or a husband's cheating on her wife, or what? What right do I got? You know, do I got the right to divorce him? Right? I got the right to divorce him? Right? Well, yeah, maybe. But the fact that you're trying to dig in here to find a way to divorce and not a way to find repentance, it it, it just shows a heart, if nothing else. Maybe maybe there is a divorce. Maybe it's a biblical divorce. I, I'm not condemning anyone for that. But what's your heart when you come and say, We're, don't, don't I got the right to divorce? Where's the heart? And is that, you know, what if you came and said, listen, everybody's telling me that I need to get divorced because my husband's cheating on me, my wife. But I was, but I've cheated on Christ so many times and he stayed, he stayed, he stayed. How can, pray with me that this works out and if they leave me, they leave me, I, I know I won't be condemned, but pray with me that the love of Christ would consume. That's, that's crazy, right? That you would pray for a spouse that's, or a child, or whoever, a situation. Well, it seems to be that the perfect harmonious movement, and how about this? Do you think that there could be perfect harmony in a spirit-filled individual in the midst of chaos? Absolutely there could. How about that blessed Savior who hung upon the tree, who walked right up, nailed to the cross, bleeding out the pain that he, would, he had to have been enduring, looking down on a crowd that was jeering and laughing, and, and he was a spectacle, hung naked. The divine Savior the Messiah who has come, hung naked upon a tree, looking down and crying out, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mm. That's, that's hard for me to read, think. So this attitude of love and this attitude of forgiveness well, when that sets in and becomes reality, you know what comes forth out of that? From what I can tell, is this great praise, right? Because, see, the crazy thing is, is that the reason we won't forgive others is that we don't realize how 
miserably wretched we are. We have this terrible anthropology, and that's just a study of man. Don't get worked up. So anthropology is the study of man, and it's part of theology, right? Because we, we want to know what does the Bible teach about mankind? What, is the, what does the Bible teach is the reality and the nature of human beings, okay? And what we find in our culture is, and sadly so, our church culture. Many, many, many modern churches are this way. We find this elevation of mankind. We, we, we find statements, and they seem so, they seem so uh, harmless. I, I, I didn't plan to do this, but it just jumped into my mind, so I'm going to do it. It's okay, babe. I think it'll be all right. Let me see if I can find it. I, I saw this the other day, and I sent it to Dustin and Robert. Let's see if I can find it. I'm going to see if you guys can spot any issues here. Hold on. Oh, here it is. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Here you go. Ready? All right. Now, this may be controversial here. <laughs> it shouldn't, really. I just like to get you worked up. Okay. This statement. Understand just how precious your soul must be if both God and Satan are fighting for it. Good, bad, yay, nay, wrong, got some wrongs, I got some, that's good. Was you saying that's good or that's bad or that's... Well, I do believe that there's a sense in which your soul is precious, but... I want to ask you a question. Are Satan and God fighting for your soul? I don't point that out, but to, to say, you have got to be so careful of the way you think and what you let influence the way you believe and that the scripture is the absolute foundation of every idea that you have. You see, in our modern church, we have the idea, and you've heard this before. Tell me if you've heard this before. Is that, every, that everyone is good at heart. You ever heard that before? Anybody ever heard that? He's got good intentions. All people are good. They're just misled. You see, these ideas that, that mankind is this good, that mankind is, is, is uh, it, it just misunderstood. But that's not the reality that the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. It says of mankind that there are none righteous, no, not even one. There are none who seek God. All have gone astray. In the days of Noah... It was that every thought and intention of their heart was continually wicked always. We have this idea that people are good, but people are not. People are absolutely wicked. And upon this wicked crowd, Christ looks down and says, God, forgive them. 
because they know not what they do. When he says they know not what they do, he means these are ignorant barbarians, animals who are seeking to devour me because I am good and they are evil. Why do I say all of that? Why not even point that out? It's that to, to have the attitude of Christ and to be filled with the love of God, it is to be able to look upon the wickedness, to be able to look upon sinfulness that's leveled at you and say, I don't need to respond and to react and to retaliate because I have been forgiven of all of my wickedness and all of my transgressions and all of my hate that I've spewed and my despicable life. I have been forgiven and in my longing is for them to be forgiven too and I will not play in to increasing that anger to increasing that sinfulness and I will not need to justify for God alone is the one who brings about vengeance vengeance is of the Lord you do not need to get anybody back you know that's, that's what withholding forgiveness is it is a small way for you to try to play judge. That's, what, that's all it is. When you're unforgiving of someone, you're saying, no, I've judged you guilty and I will withhold my forgiveness until you pay penance. That's what it is. So you're setting yourself up as God over them and you're demanding that they pay you retribution so that you might grant their forgiveness, you see? But the odd thing about forgiveness is, is that it's been described as unforgiveness is like drinking poison waiting for your enemy to die. The love of Christ has freed us from that. And we leave them to God. And we are God to them. Meaning that we love and we forgive and we seek. That's that love and then this, this idea of praise erupts from that. And be thankful. And be thankful. Let the word of God dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts. That's that peace that's way deep down up under everything else. That when everything comes against you, when everybody comes against you, when they turn their back on you, when they... And now that, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is there's a joy and a peace that is firm and solid even in the midst of the storm i can describe it to you i've seen it what does the peace of christ look like and is it able to withstand the chaos that surrounds it anybody know what i'm going to how about jesus christ snoozing in a boat that's about to capsize no i'm serious that's the peace of christ jesus christ laying in the boat the storm's just tossing the boat. And, and the reason I know it had to be a bad storm is that th these men were fishermen on the daily. They did this for a living, okay? I'm, I, I'm an arborist. I climb trees for a living. And so on a windy day, it doesn't really bother me. I go up to the top of the tree, and the tree's swinging like three or four feet, and I'm like, I got you, you know? I, it do, I'm okay. I'm okay with that, you know? Uh, and, but other people looking at it going, man, you got to be crazy, right? Even just climbing up on a non-windy day, you, you got to be crazy. But me, and I'm okay. I, this is what I do. You know, this is what I do. Well, that's the way Jesus knows peace and far beyond eternally. Because here the, the boat, see, these, these fishermen, they're on the waters all day long, every day. That's what they do. They fish. You don't think they've hit a squall? They don't, you don't think they've hit a storm? You know? And here they are. They're running around the boat acting crazy like, we're going to die. You know, it had to be bad because these professional fishermen thought, we're about to die. And where is Jesus? He's taking a nap. 
Jesus is taking a nap, and the boat is about to capsize. And they go to him, and they're like, Lord, don't you care that we perish? And, and Jesus is like, oh, you have little faith. I, I, I hear this all the time when I read. Anytime Jesus interacts with Peter, he's like, every time Peter wakes Jesus up, he's like, you idiot. You know, it gives me great hope, right? I wonder how many times Jesus has been like, Brandon, you moron. <laughs> what is wrong with you, right? It, Peter is my hope. You know, he, he gives me great hope. So Jesus wakes up and he's like, oh, you have little faith. And he's like, what does he say? What does he say? Say it louder for the ones in the back. Peace, be still. He says, peace, be still. Jesus said, my peace, I leave with you. Look and see what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs of thankfulness. What does that flow out of? What's the verse before it? What is all this praise and exaltation and spiritual songs and, and wonderful, thriving life? What does it flow out of? It flows out of let the word of, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So what is to rule your hearts? What is to rule and, and overcome and, and have the say-so and the authority? The peace of Christ. And what is the peace of Christ? The understanding of who he is, no matter what your circumstances are. When you understand who Christ is, the circumstances surrounding you will be minuscule. Yes, it will be painful. Yes, it will be troubling. Yes, it will be tough at times. But with Christ as the anchor, you will not be shaken and you will be sure. So with all of this pushing toward this perfect um, meekness and kindness, this, this putting on love and binding everything in perfect harmony, this word of Christ is, dwells richly and it's leading us to this place where we are lifting up praise and thankfulness. What happens then? So you have this servant's heart, okay? You have putting on love. You have this, this exaltation of, of praise and, and lifting up of God. Well, what does it lead to? It leads to a great satisfaction. You see, that's what many of us are missing today, is the satisfaction of Jesus Christ. The fact that He has done it all. He has finished the work. He is enough. You know, we're all looking for something else. We say, oh, I have Christ, but I need, I still, I have Christ. I, yeah, I've been born again. Yeah, I'm saved, but I need so-and-so before I can really get happy. I need this and that before I can really feel fulfilled. I need uh, X, Y, Z before I can finally say, I'm okay. You see, we're looking for all of these things. But let me remind you of Colossians 3.11 that says, uh, Christ is all, the last part of that, Christ is all and in all. Christ is all you need. I know that that goes against everything that you've been taught through our culture. Because our culture says that you need everything. You need what your neighbor has. You need what your other neighbor has. You need what your kid's teammate's dad bought his kid and your kid should have that because it's better and if his kids got something better than your kids got then it might reflect on you and how much you don't love what you need christ 
You need to love Christ. You need to teach Christ. You need to lead to Christ. And you need to magnify Christ. And all these other things will be added to you as the Lord sees fit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Everything else will come after that. Set your mind on the things above. So verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, so that encompasses everything, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what does everything mean here? Everything. So in whatever you do, in word or deed, in whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. Man, what if you were to really throw everything into that category? So like we, we, we will throw some things in there, but have we thrown everything in there? You throw like 1022 to 130 in there. See what I did there? You throw Sunday morning in there. Hopefully, you know, maybe you throw a five-minute devotion in there each day, you know. Do you throw everything in? Do you throw, throw in the way you interact with your children? Do you throw in the way that you do your job? Do you throw in the way that you make phone calls? Do you throw in the way that you play video games? Do you throw in the way that you react when your spouse says something you don't like do you do you do you do everything whether in word or in deed in the name of the lord jesus christ in other words has jesus christ completely consumed you have you put on christ when people think about you is their first thought jesus that's a legit question i want you to ask yourself that when people think about you do they think Jesus because the love of Christ just exudes it just it, it that's when they look at you they don't see anything else sure they, they they know your flaw but they know that and let me tell you this you know what maybe the best witness and testimony that you could have is that when somebody comes against you and they attack you how you handle that attack says more about you than how you interact with people who are always tickling your ears and that's God's honest truth. You know that's to be the case. You can tell a lot more about a person how they handle a trial than you can how they handle a blessing. Oh, everybody's always happy and, and smiling and fulfilled when they've got everything they want. You take away something from somebody. You, you snatch something away from them. You, you see something snatched away from them, whether it's their own doing or whether it's somebody else's doing, and you'll see the true character of that person in that moment. How you handle trial and how you handle someone coming against you, how you forgive, how you interact, that will tell more about you than how you interact with those who bless you. This is true. So the Bible says, let Jesus Christ be that which controls you. Let the word of God rule and, 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 and the peace of God, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So this is the type of person we are to be. So let's look at a few instances where that's lived out and uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up this way. So I want to read verses 18 through 25 right quick. And this talks about specific instances in life, but I don't really think it's talking so much about those particular instances to teach on those, which it obviously does. But it's just to talk about this principle that we just 
learned. So you've got these different principles, which is this servant's heart, this humility, this meekness. We can get to that place to where we're really quick to forgive. And then we can get to that place where we just love everyone. So first is no hate. The second is all love, right? And then right after that, it talks about this idea of, of the word of Christ dwelling and, and setting our mind on Christ, being thankful and everything. So this, this attitude of praise that's just continually thankful that Jesus Christ is who he is and that he chose you and that he forgave you even though you didn't deserve forgiveness and this uplifting of praise and adoration and thankfulness and singing songs of hymns and then satisfaction in Christ that no matter what comes your way that you're going to do everything you do in Christ because he is your everything Christ is all and in all that Christ is everything so it just shapes who you are right it shapes who you are in every aspect of your life right does that does that make sense so far and now it's going to talk about some common applications where that's really hard. Okay? And so to say that Paul's kind of saying this. He's kind of doing this. He's kind of going, listen, what I've just told you is some really good teaching. But I'm telling you, you that it needs to be a reality in your life even when it's really hard for it to be a reality in your life. Right? So watch what it says. I'm going to read 18 to 25, and then we'll unpack it a little bit. 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's all he says about wives to husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Huge statement. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is maybe the biggest one in, the, in the, this section. Verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. He finishes it off saying, I know that you think that you should treat them certain ways because they don't deserve your love and they deserve your scorn because you need to pay them back. But in so many words, you are elevating yourself to the place of God because you're withholding forgiveness and you are lowering the boom, and you are dishing out punishment yourself when that's God's job. And he's saying, don't worry about that. You just live in Christ, and you leave that to me. You just live in Christ. You just live in humility, love, peace, praise, satisfaction. You leave. They did do you wrong. You know, God would say, they did do you wrong. But you forgive them as I, gave, as I forgave you when you did me wrong. And I'll be the one that does the judging at the end. Because you know what? I see even more than you. I see even the thoughts and intentions. You thought they did you wrong? Oh, no. They've done you really wrong. And you have done them really wrong. I'm the only one good. Remember what Jesus told the, the rich young ruler? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And the rich young ruler went away because he didn't believe Jesus was God. God alone is good. You need to understand that. There's none good. No, not one. There's none righteous. The man who looks down on the other man saying that I can't forgive you because you've done wrong is a hypocrite because he's done wrong and been forgiven. So 
Look at these specific instances where the application of what Paul has taught is super hard, right? Okay, first one. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. We can shut the book. I mean, we really could. I mean, what wife in here doesn't have, uh, doesn't have reason to look at her husband and say, I got to submit to this idiot? Every wife in the room just said, <laughs> I can't believe y'all actually did it. Okay, husbands, our first test. <laughs> uh, let me give you those five again because we're going to see these five applied, okay? So, servanthood, love, unity, praise, and satisfaction. And I've, I've mixed up, there's all kind of different words, but th that'll be servanthood, love, unity, which is peace, peace, unity, okay? Praise, satisfaction. So I think I use peace, really. Servanthood, love, peace, praise, satisfaction. These applied in the realms of regular everyday life. I like this about the Bible because the Bible talks to us about every single day life. Wives, submit to your husbands as is, as is fitting in the Lord. So you see what Paul does here is he says, look, <clears throat> I've laid out some principles here. So let's, let's say Paul's going to turn his attention to wives right quick. So all the wives are reading this, and they're like, hold up. What, hold up, what? You want, me to, what? you want me to submit to my husbands? But look at this guy. Look at this guy. So, even the, the, so Peter would teach us, even if, even if a wife is with an unbelieving husband, what, what should she do? Now, if he leaves her, that she, can't, she ain't do nothing about that. He can't make her stay. But if he consents to stay and they're already married, that she's to stay and what? Submit to him. What, 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 what? Why? That by her gentleness and by her uh, submissive nature that she might win the unbeliever. What? Why? How? Why? Because of everything I've just taught you. Because to submit to someone that has no right to be over you and they deserve for you to come down on them is the means by which Christ saved you. Let that sink in. Jesus Christ, who is your bridegroom, stayed with you even though you wouldn't submit and even though you hung him on the cross so that by his unjust treatment by you, you might be transformed by him. Does that make sense? Wow. And we just want to drop the hammer. I can't submit to that guy. You, don't, you ain't ever lived with him. And here's the crazy thing, and I need to move on from this. Here's the irony. Wives, listen to me. Those of you who have stupid husbands, listen to me. Did I get in trouble for that one? No, I can call men stupid. It's, i got to be careful with the women. Okay. <laughs> listen to me, though, in all seriousness. Listen for a second. Wives, if you have a stupid husband, and many of you do, <laughs> the more stubborn you are toward him, the more you nag him, the more you're hateful, and the more you despise him and let it be known because he's so stupid, the stupider he will become. I'm not kidding you. He will become obstinate. He will become hard-hearted. 
he will just get dumber and dumber and dumber. And the crazy thing is, is that I know why you're nagging. I know why you're coming at him is because you're sick of him being stupid, right? Amen? Amen? What, you like for him to be that way? Come on, amen? Amen. But the problem is it's very ironic because the more you do that to make, to cause change so he wouldn't be like that, the more you do that, the worse he gets. <laughs> that guy's in trouble. Listen, I, I had this conversation with a lady, and I need to move, but I had this conversation with a lady one time, and I was doing some work at this property, and it was actually a caretaker of the homeowner that we were working for, and, and somehow we got into this conversation, this was years ago, and she was talking about her and her husband having so many problems, and they were about to divorce, and, and she didn't know what to do, that he was just a complete idiot, and all this kind of stuff she laid out, and I asked her, I said, well, have you thought about, have you thought about building him up? Have you thought about just treating him like a king, even though he's a demon? She looked at me like I, like I was nuts, right? She said, I said, what if you just highlighted the good things that he'd done and just focus on that and you stay, she said she was a believer, and you stay positive, you set your mind on Christ, and you don't play into the negativity. You let that be between him and God, and you just do Christ. You just stay positive, as hard as that is, and you just set your mind on the things above, and you seek the things above, in so many words. And she was like, this is literally what she told me. She was like, I can't think of anything he does good. <laughs> I promise that's what she said. I'm like, you can't think of one thing. Like, there's not one thing. I'm like, okay, well, just describe what happens when he gets home. She's like, he goes out, he goes to work, he comes home. He uh, comes right in the house. He plops down in the recliner. He pays me no attention. He puts his feet up, kicks his shoes off, and tells me to get him a beer. That's what she told me. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, okay, okay. He came in from where? She said he came in from work. Okay. Okay, he works. <laughs> At least he works. You got a leg up on a lot of ladies, right? So I said, all jokes aside, I said, what if when he came in, so what, you know, what do you normally do? You know, I might get, I might get him a beer, I might get him a drink, I might not, I might tell him to get it his own self as I walk away or whatever. I said, okay, well, what if you just let the, you just let Christ just let you focus only on the good? What if, and, and I'm just asking, what if instead of that nagging, hateful, old, wretched spirit, that when he came in, even though he deserve, even though he deserves, somebody tell him you need to stop acting like this. Your wife don't deserve this. Let let God do that. Trust God; He sees it all. You come out and you say, "I am so thankful that you went to work today to provide for our family." You have no idea how secure that makes me. What if you just he would he would probably and I think she said this. I was thinking it, but she said he would wonder what happened to me. Because she knew that she had just become so hateful and so disgusted with him, right? We just get disgusted and we just give up. How many of you have given up on somebody? And you cannot see anything good in them. It does not matter. You cannot see anything good. Half the country did that with Trump. 
right? Doesn't matter what the man, you, you hate, you despise the stinking guts. How many wives have started to think about their husbands that way? They just, they can't stand that guy. Pray for him, serve. You want me to submit and serve him? You want me to speak good of him? I'm just reading the text. Well, that's a tough one. How about loves? Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. See how he just knows how to just, gotcha, you know? I, I, I picture Jesus in this verse. I picked Marcus in this verse. I picture Jesus wrestling Jacob by the forge of book, because Jesus just knows like, right, how to hit you where your, your weak spot is. Right? He's wrestling Jacob, and he's like, you know, Jacob's thinking he's winning. You know, he's like, what's up? You know, and Jesus is like, pop, smashes his hip into a million pieces. So <laughs> what happens when you fight with the Lord? Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, I do love my wife, but you know what? She can't tell it when I'm harsh with her. And another verse, and the Bible's consistent. First Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, knowing that they're the weaker vessel. Now, a lot of women don't like that verse. They can't stand it, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> a lot of people say, weak, I ain't weak. You know, but that's not what it means. It means quite naturally. Women are made different than men, right? You know, it's why we have a distinction between men's and women's sports, at least we used to. Did y'all see that, that thing with that six foot five, 245 pound man on that college girls team? <laughs> That's, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about that. But I think there's a reality that women are made different than men, right? Most women wouldn't want to get in a fight with a man. You know, there might be a few select women out there that you might, want, you might not want to fight them, right? <laughs> but generally speaking, women are softer than men, okay? It's just a general observation that I've noticed. And men can be harsh with their wives. They, and, and it's not too just about like fighting. Although it can be, right? But it's just about the way you interact. See, here's the weird thing. We were talking about this the other day. Who was I talking about this with? I was talking about this with somebody the other day. And we were talking about the differences between men and women. Oh, we were talking about it at the baseball field. When I was in school, now you can't do this because everybody's so soft. They're like, like snowflakes soft. Oh, my gosh, don't get me started, right? And I'm not advocating for fighting at school, right? But just back in the day, you didn't have school shootings because you had fistfights out back, okay? I'm not saying that that's a good thing. All I'm saying is, is that that's what it was, okay? Well, my point is, is that there was several times in school where guys would just, they would feel the need to be prideful or prove something. And I have a guy call me out and say, for no reason, I didn't know this guy. He's like, hey, Brandon, you want to fight after school today? <laughs> Well, it was in front of like 15 people. So I'm like, you know it, bro. <laughs> I didn't want to fight him, right? He's, a, he's older than me, you know. I don't, well, I don't want to fight you, but I ain't letting nobody know that. So we go out on the hill behind the school, and uh, we're, we're toe-to-toe, face-to-face, you know. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't really want to do this, but I ain't letting nobody else know, you know. 
and he's he's there, and, and he didn't want to do it either. You could you could tell he was wanting to to back me down, you know, to to look big, but I couldn't back down. It was around too many people, and I was too arrogant for that. And so uh, we were both looking at each other, going, "Make a move." He's like, "Make a move." <laughs> you make a move. Go ahead. I'll let you have the first punch. <laughs> so anyway, we fired a little bit there. Well, the point is, is that after that, we were cool. We were fine. That's what we did, right? We fought. We bled. And we were friends. That, that's weird. And none of the ladies understand that when I talk to them, most of them anyway. I mean, which lady in here, y'all, y'all get that? That's how you are. It would be how you are. One or two. Yeah, y'all are weird. But the vast majority are like, no. And I have had personal testimony that's like, you know, when you, you get in a fight with a girl, now nah, them girls hate each other for life, right? And they sneaky. Oh, they won't just punch you in the face. They stab you in the back, you know? Women are different than men. Girls are different than boys. I've heard it described this way, is that women are like china and men are like iron pots. You can beat on them, you can bang on them, you can drop them, but you need to be easy. But men have a hard time doing that. And you know what happens is, is that if me and Marcus get into a ruckus, you know, we can get loud with each other, we can be real harsh with each other, and we'll be fine the next day. But if I do that to my wife, it seems to really injure her. It, re- it seems to really wound her. It really is devastating. And you need to be careful with that. And the, the crazy thing is, is that if you were found whole in Jesus Christ, if you were found completely whole in Jesus Christ, then you wouldn't feel the need to wound her with your harsh words and your harsh treatment. Why? Because the price has already been paid by, the price has already been paid by Christ on the cross. And God will sort everything else out in the end. Well, let's move on. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Everybody knows that children hate obeying parents, right? Oh, y'all's like obeying. <laughs> no, you, you, there's some great kids and there's some rough kids. There's some in-between kids. Who's, who's that? But the bottom line is, is that if Christ or if kids are to fulfill this, the love of Christ, the, the overwhelming peace of Christ and the satisfaction of Christ, then it's, you know, the reason kids rebel like that is they don't like the authority being pressed down on them. But they need that godly authority in their life. Why? To show them what it's like to be under godly authority. You see, you are the best picture your kids will ever have of who God is. And they will take cue. You know, I had, you know, fathers, they, they say, you know, I tell my kids, you know, I know I've got my problems, but you, you do as I say, not as I do. Please don't ever say that. Please don't ever say that. Because they're going to do as you do. You, uh, you know, you can speak a million words. It's your actions speak louder than words. And here we go. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This is probably... Well, I guess every one of them that speaks to husbands is hard for me on here, but this one right here is, is tough, especially with my middle child. Goodness gracious, that joker. Sometimes, and I love that boy. Oh, man, I love that boy. I will die for him. But sometimes he just ticks me off. And you know what I can find? I've, the Lord has just nailed me on this before. I have got into this, that boy can get to me 
like a grown man can't get to me, right? If he was a grown man, I'd have fought him a few times. I ain't even kidding, right? He better be bad because I was mad, right? But what I found is, is that I can, he can reveal some real sin in my life. I wonder if God put that thorn in my flesh. No, no, no. I love that boy, but he can test me. He really can. He can, he can get me to that place where I go to all middle school, right? Right? I'll just, I'll just be, I wonder what I can do to get to this joker. Because he's got to me all week, right? And I'm like, wait, Brandon, you need to pray, bro. You act stupid, right? This is hard for me. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And that's the result of not living in Christ is that you can really discourage your kids. And I've, I've watched it, all jokes aside. I really have really messed up in that way before with this one kid. Well, all my kids, but with Z, man. Because he'll engage me and he'll just push that right button. And then I'll provoke him to anger. Like I'll, I'll see he's mad and he won't, he's, he's obstinate, he's disobedient, he's rebellious. And I'll see it and I'll be like, all right, you think it's bad now? And then I'll just go, you know, I'll provoke him to anger. Well, then when all that's said and done, he's just a boy. He's just a kid. He's just a rebellious kid. And he didn't need for me to lay down. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for discipline. But that discipline needs to be done in love and peace and respect. There, that could, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. You need to discipline your, your children while still respecting your children. I do not believe in shaming as a form of discipline. I reject that. I really do. I've seen it. Some of you might love that whole thing. I, now, I'm not saying I've never done it, but I, I think that that's awful. Just my personal opinion. I am not for shaming as a form of punishment. Like setting your kids up so that everybody can see them and, and all of that. I'm not for that. We go into the bathroom. If somebody's in the bathroom, we wait till they go out, and then I'll tear that tail up, right? I'm not for the shame game. And even when we do, we need to do it with respect. So after you discipline your children, you need to get down on your knee or you need to get down on their level and you say, you understand why I did this? I did this because I love you and I'm trying to lead you to that place where you can be a wonderful man or a wonderful woman. This is not to hurt you, but this is because I love you. But sometimes we cannot be in Christ and we can discourage them. Bond servants, how about this one? Bond servants obeying everything, those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye services, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He says, those of you who are in bond service to someone else, those of you who are enslaved. Now, this would have been more of indentured servanthood. A lot of people think that slavery in the Bible and uh, American slavery or African slavery or slavery as you see it in the world, oftentimes where somebody is stolen and their property that's not what the scripture speaks of in almost every passage when it speaks of bond servants and servants and slaves. That's not the understanding that the scripture has, but it would be more of an indentured servanthood, which is actually in the Old Testament was almost like a national way to keep people in the realm of being able to work and provide and to see their way back to being uh, a productive member of society. So for instance, somebody might be in debt over their head to someone. Well, in order to get out of debt, they would become an indentured servant or a bond servant. And so that they could come in, and oftentimes they were very prominent people. You know, they, were, they would have good lives. So let's say that, uh, you know, someone had a business, someone really got in debt to them, 
And they say, well, listen, you can't pay back your debt, so instead of throwing you in prison, you come and you work for me. You'll be an indentured servant to me until this debt is paid off. And when you've uh, paid it off, then you can go about your way. And instead of losing their house, instead of their family being on the street, they would come and become a bond servant. Well, some of them... Uh, really despised this idea after they got in because they were locked in. They had to live out that, that, that uh, debt or they would have to go to prison or whatever else. And uh, some of them would despise that. Well, we have an instance here where he says, the love of Christ even infiltrates. Remember how I told you last time that the love of Christ, the law of Christ, is, it infiltrates every culture and it's multicultural, it's omnicultural, so that the love of Christ and the law of Christ and, and the gospel infiltrates every culture. Christianity is global and for a reason. And it's because it infiltrates every single culture that it goes into and it transforms that culture to bring about the law of Christ in that culture. Well, here he's showing how it goes into each aspect of everyday life. He talks to wives, he talks to husbands, he talks to children, he talks to fathers. Now he's even talking to bond servants who would have been uh, the, maybe the group in which would have said, what, are you kidding me? And he doesn't only say, listen, he doesn't say bond servants. Now, just do what you're supposed to do. It'll be over soon enough. Do what you're supposed to do. No, what does he say? He says, uh, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. He tells the bond servant, he says, listen, I'm not just telling you to do what you're supposed to do and suck it up, buttercup. I'm telling you to even enjoy your life where you are in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this trial, working out your debt, working under this uh, servitude. You do it with joy. The same principles apply. You put on holiness. You put on compassion. You put on humility. You put on peace. You put on love. You live in perfect harmony. You let the, the, the word of Christ richly dwell in you. And as you're a bondservant in bondage to another man for so many years, you are singing praises and hymns in the midst of it all. And everything you do, you do it as if to the Lord because it is. He tells the bondservant that. You think that that's not for you? But it's for all of us. It's for me. I know that. Well, we'll finish up. If you guys want to come up, I just got a few more verses. He says, what to the bondservant he said oh and and what i think what he's got in mind here is onesimus you remember onesimus was the servant of philemon you remember the book of philemon well in the book of philemon he addresses these very same things and listen you might say well he's just and this has been a common argument against the bible is that the bible teaches that slavery is good and it even tells slaves to stay slaves well one, it completely misses the point that slavery in the Bible is not like American slavery or whatever. It's indentured servanthood, and it's actually a pretty good program so people wouldn't go to prison because they got in debt over their heads. But two, he doesn't just address the slaves, but he addresses slave owners. Because the, the, the love of Christ and the law of Christ penetrates not just the slave or the bondservant's heart, but the slave owner's heart as well. I want you to read. I wasn't planning to do this, but I think I will. I want you to look over with me if you want to flip there. Or I'll just read it one. Uh, look at Philemon. And this is, now, this is the same. I think that this is what he had on his mind because in, the, in Colossians, uh, he's talking to, about Onesimus too. Man, where am I at? Where are you at, baby? Here we are. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 4, um, verse 8. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may uh, 
that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with, and with him Onesimus. Now look over in Philemon, verse 17. Listen to what he says. Now he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And Philemon was the slave owner, the bondservant, uh, or, or he was the owner of Philemon, or Onesimus, if you want to say it that way. Onesimus was in service to Philemon. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And by every account, he was a runaway slave. He was a runaway bondservant, and he wasn't going to fulfill his debt. But what happened was Onesimus met Paul in prison. And he had an encounter with the gospel. He had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was radically changed. And the principles that Paul laid out in Colossians chapter 3 became a part of Onesimus' reality. And Paul sent him back to Philemon. And this is what he... Now, he says here, and he's, Onesimus is with him. So he's talking. He, you know, Onesimus is here with this letter. And he says, Onesimus, listen. When you go back to Philemon, he would have said these very words. Obey in everything. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Don't give Philemon a hard time. And don't just do it as eye service. So you can, so you can make it look like you're doing what you're supposed to do. But... Onesimus, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. It's not about Philemon. It's not about your husband. It's not about your wife. It's not about your children. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. I know it may look tough right here right now, but you just live for Christ. And if it doesn't pan out really well for you right now, just know that your eternal reward lasts in heaven. Just be faithful to Christ. That's all you're called to do. Just, yeah, it, you're in a bad, I, I'm sorry. Be faithful to Christ and you will not regret it. You are serving the Lord Christ. Onesimus, as you are a bondservant, you're a bondservant for Christ. What? You're a bondservant for Christ. Do everything you do as if serving the Lord because you are. For their own door will be paid back. And the last set of scripture is what he's told Philemon. So if you consider me your partner. This is Paul writing to Philemon. The one who uh, had placed Onesimus in debt. So if you consider me your partner. Receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me. If he was wronged. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything. Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. He didn't want Philemon to be mistaken at all. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self, because Philemon had come to Christ through Paul. So Paul's like, you, you charge that to my account, even though you wouldn't even be who you are without me. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Okay, that's a small sentence that could escape you just like that if you don't pay attention. Listen to what Paul says. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. What? Paul wants something from Philemon. What is it? He's warning Philemon to accept Onesimus back with love and equality and with joy to his credit and to his account. 
Paul's, Paul's saying, I want something from you. And that's to, for you to let the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ shine out of you. Even if it costs me something. Oftentimes it's going to cost you something to be Christ to your wife. It's going to cost you something to be Christ to your husband. It's going to cost you something to be Christ to your children. It's going to, be, it's going to cost you something to be Christ to your enemies, to be Christ to your boss at work, to be Christ to that guy that's coming down on you or that woman who cuts you off. It's going to cost you something. But you just remember, all of this is as to the Lord that we forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And there's really no cost when you consider the cost that Christ paid, the price that Christ paid. For there's not any of you that's lost anything when you've come into the presence of the Lord. You've gained eternity. You've gained it all. So as we stand to our feet, let's think about how we've been living our life. Let's think about the example that we've been setting. Are you clothed in Christ? Are you clothed in, in Him, in Christ Himself? Right? Has the love of God brought about true humility and meekness and, and gentleness in your character? Has it brought about the love of God that is continually seeking to build up and pursue those people around you? Has it brought about peace and unity and not needing to, to pay people back, but to let things go and let Christ be your healing. Let Christ be your fulfillment. Let Christ be the one that paid the price. You don't have to make your husband pay the price. You don't. I know it sounds crazy, but there is a room to forgive even right now because the sin has been paid for on Calvary. And anything that remains will be sorted out by God in the end don't hold on to it do you have that unity that comes through Christ and Christ alone and are you truly is the praise erupting out of you because of this reality which brings about the satisfaction that whether, whether the storms are there or whether the sunshine is out that Christ is all and in all do business with God today might be a great day for you to just repent of a hard heart or maybe anger that's just been all over you maybe maybe there's things that's sins actual sins that's been committed against you and you've not been able to sleep they're fine they've already moved on with their life but the for, but the unforgiveness that you have for them is so deep and so sick and so twisted that you are the one that's been affected by the unforgiveness not them you think that you're making them pay because you won't Forgive them, but they forgot your name already. And you're still holding on to it. Lay that down at the foot of the cross. You're, you're on the outs with your husband or your wife. Is, let me ask you this. Is what he did to you more than what you did to Christ? Let me ask you this, old man. Is what she did to you more than what you did to Christ? For Christ hanging upon the tree looked down upon all. And said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if Christ has forgiven you of such transgressions and evil, then how is it that you refuse to forgive those who have sinned against you? Just think on that. And let the love of God wash over you. Do business with God, please.